Good morning, Ascent family. How are we doing today? Good. Okay, see? This is, this is what I'm talking about. Now, I have to just, before I say anything else, I have to let y'all know that I came up here. We were doing a, a mic check, and there was a table. And y'all know that I am like 5'1 on a good day. So I come up against the table, and Bill is sitting in the chair, and I'm like, Bill, this doesn't look right, right? Like, it's like the table's all the way up here to me, so um, I'm glad I didn't do that, because that would look very, very odd. Um, I am excited to be here with you all. It's a little darker in here, so I'm trying to see uh, some of the faces that we got here. Um, I also want to shout out those of you that are tuning in online. We see you. We're so glad that you are part of our online community. And I also have to say that my husband is on camera for the first time today, so I don't know how I feel about that. We, we will see. So y'all let me know if he's doing anything crazy, crazy up there. Um, but as Bill was saying, the past few weeks, we have been talking about real life faith. We've talked about the tension between life is beautiful and life is hard. When Bill preached, he talked about how do we navigate when we feel depleted when we feel empty. And last week, Maurice just really broke it down for us, what it means to be fully dependent on Jesus. And before I tell you what I'm gonna talk about today, there was a story that came to mind. Now for the first 10 years of my life, I was an only child. And contrary to what many might say, I really enjoyed it, but um, my stepdad, which I'm telling you all just for context, my stepdad, when I was about seven or eight, he's really amazing, I refer to him as my father, decided that his kids were going to move in with us. So overnight, I went from sharing my food, my TV, my room, the bathroom, and the attention of my mother with eight other people. Yeah, you heard me right, eight. And as an only child, that was a struggle for me. So my mom decided that we would be intentional because, you know, only child, we don't like to share. I didn't like sharing my toys. It was just a lot of stuff that I had to work through. But we decided we would be intentional and have these mother-daughter dates. And one of the things that we would do, one of our favorite places, was to go to Nordstrom's. And when I say that out loud, I know that kind of sounds a little bougie, but there is accuracy in that because I am a little bougie. But, y'all, if you have never been to a Nordstrom's that has a third floor and the Nordstrom's Cafe, you must get the Santa Fe chicken sandwich with no onions or peppers, side salad with champagne vinaigrette dressing. Thank me later, okay? That was the reason why we went. And of course, you know, on our way up, we get to shop and all that. And we would always go to the location that was by our house. But I remember this one particular Sunday, we went to a location in Orange County. And after a few minutes, I turned around and I didn't see my mom. And y'all, I wasn't a kid at the time that had a cell phone that I can just call her. I probably had a Nokia back then playing Snake. I don't know if any of y'all remember that, but I couldn't call my mom. This wasn't our normal location, so I didn't have like my typical safety zone that I knew that I would go here if I couldn't find her. So I'm walking around, I'm calling her name, I'm going through the different levels, and I don't see my mom, y'all, and I, I am getting stressed 
I am getting scared. I don't remember every single detail, but I remember exactly how I felt. I felt like I was always going to be alone. I didn't know if I was ever going to find my mom. I didn't know if I could approach anyone in the store because I also know, hold up, wait a minute, stranger danger. I don't know if I can talk to you. So I did what I still kind of do best. There was an escalator and there was a little crevice and I just crisscross applesauced it and I started to cry. And I shared that story with you because it made me realize it doesn't take much effort for us to get lost. We can get lost unintentionally. And I don't know if you've ever been to a concert and you tell someone that you are going to meet them right here or, or by this vendor and you guys can't find each other. Can we be honest? Sometimes I lose my husband in Target and that is a whole situation. And I do not know how to navigate a lot of Colorado. Like I just got to the point where I still don't need GPS to go to the mall. Like I just made that happen and that's kind of a big thing. But a lot of times when I'm using my GPS, it'll just freeze on me. And if I don't know where I'm going, that is not useful. And I know we got some hikers in the room, right? Oh, just a few. Ooh, I don't know if I'm going to say what I want to say. But I am. Um, <laughs> okay, so you know when you hike and, like, there's, you know, you can go this way. You can go this way. And maybe you make some wrong turns. But maybe some of you that are like serious, serious hikers, maybe you backpack somewhere, you are like marking trees and putting leaves in places. And actually, I don't know if people do that. That's just what I've seen in movies, but I feel like that definitely resonates with what I'm trying to say. But as we think about that, we realize that being lost is not limited just to our physical location. Being lost can look like a lot of different things. I know there's some people in this room or watching online that moved to Colorado with the hope and excitement that you are going to build this community and you're going to have all these friends and do all these things, but now you're more lonely than ever. There's some of you that everyone around you, it just seems like they have it all together. And you, you don't feel that way. You feel stuck. You don't know what's next. You don't even know if the thing that you're doing right now is the thing that you should be doing. There's others of you who you used to have a strong, vibrant, exciting relationship with God. And now that feels like a distant memory. The psalmist in Psalm 43 asked this question, why must I wander around in grief? And maybe some of you here today feel lost in your grief. <laughs> For my singles in the room, maybe you feel lost in your singleness because this season is just going on way longer than you expected. But if we are real, and if you don't know anything about me, I'm going to keep it real up in here. There can also be a disconnect for us in voicing and saying that we feel lost and actually acknowledging that, man, that's the space that I'm in. So I wanted to read some synonyms to you to help you connect a little bit better if necessary. Maybe the word for you is adrift, disoriented, invisible, hidden, off course, 
abandon, a deep state of confusion, irretrievable, mm, wondering, fallen between the cracks. And my mindset as I was preparing for this message was I've definitely been in that space before. I've been lost a few times. But God, right now, I'm not there. I'm in a space where I have great clarity about my purpose. I just launched something this month that I am so proud of. My husband and I, we find ourselves experiencing new heights in our marriage, even though we're on this really interesting journey to parenthood. So imagine my surprise when I'm watching a conference on Zoom, on my computer, and God's like, uh-uh, Aisha, you are lost. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, you don't feel lost like fully, but there's something specific that feels lost to you. There's a specific area to make it more plain, there's a specific desire that feels lost. And in that moment, I fell like that little girl at Nordstrom's. And when God reveals something to me about me that I didn't see, you see how I did that right there? I start crying. And that's what I did for about 10 minutes because I'm like, wow, I didn't even realize that about myself, God. And maybe for you here today, you and your spouse are great teammates, but if you're honest, you've lost that intimacy. You've lost that fun, that spontaneity. For others of you, I'll go back to the dream. I'll go back to that desire that thing you used to always want to do, the thing that you used to talk about, that thing that you even went to school for. How many of us have degrees in something that we're not technically using? It's okay, I would love a refund, perhaps. <laughs> it would be nice right now. It would be nice. Going back to that desire, Langston Hughes, I did a project on him in sixth grade, and I feel like that knowledge has forever stayed with me. In one of his famous poems and my favorite called Harlem, he starts it off with this question. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Some of you maybe set your dream down for the sake of responsibility and for a more acceptable path. And now you can't recall where you put it. Now it just seems so far away and so distant. It's loss. Hmm. For others, you've lost your authentic self. And what I mean by that, and as a former people pleaser, I can speak on this, is that sometimes we shape shift so much in our relationships and the people that we hang around and we people please and we live into their expectations of us that who we are, how we feel, the authenticity that God has gifted us with is gone. And I'm taking my time this morning breaking down various ways that we can be lost because I don't want anyone today to tune out 
or not be fully present because they don't think today's message is for them. I believe no matter where you are today, whatever space that you find yourself in, that God has something that he wants to say to you. And if you're taking notes, I can't see you because it's dark. (laughs) And even if you're not, I just want you to grab hold of this. If you can retweet it in your brain, save it, file, save, all that in your brain, it is this. Being lost is an invitation to be found by God. Being lost is an invitation to be found by God. Now, I've never done this before. It may seem a little weird, and I know I'm not setting it up the best, but I want to invite you to just place your hand on your heart, and I'm going to pray for us before I say anything else. God, I thank you that you knew every single person that would be here, that would be listening online. And God, I believe there is something that you want us to grab hold of, something that we need to be reminded of, something we need to learn, something we need to embrace. And God, I just pray that our hearts would be open to receive what you have for us, I pray that our ears would be attentive to hear what you have to say. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would personalize this message to every person under the sound of my voice. I will get out of the way and yield to you as I say, have your way. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Today I want to look at a moment in the life of a man named Elijah. He was a prophet in Israel in the Old Testament. Oop, y'all see that. And prophets, they weren't fortune tellers. They simply spoke on behalf of God. They would call out false idol worship. They would speak the thing that God is telling them to speak, even if it was unpopular, even if it was risky or dangerous. And they would challenge the people of Israel. They would challenge their leaders to get back in alignment with the covenant or the agreement that they made with God. And that agreement was simply to obey God's commands and live according to his word. So let's see what's going on with Elijah in 1 Kings 19, starting off at the first verse. It says, when Ahab got home, He told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. Now, y'all, I feel like we just got into like an hour of an action movie. These two verses will not make sense to us. We will not be able to see the full picture if we don't jump back. And I catch you guys up at what happened in 1 Kings 18. So Ahab and Jezebel are the current king and queen of Israel, and they are wicked. Scripture says that Ahab is the most wicked king to date. And Jezebel 
She is all about worshiping her false god, which is Baal. And them and Elijah already get off to a bad start because in 1 Kings 17, Elijah shows up to Ahab and he's like, just so you know, you're about to experience a drought for a few years and no one can stop it or do nothing but me till I say so. Drops the mic, exits. That came out weird, exits. 1 Kings 18, he's back on the scene. He's like, you guys need to make up your mind. Are you going to worship God? Are you going to worship Baal? Pick one. So because Elijah is this big, confident, strong prophet whose reputation precedes him, he says, I want to challenge you. Tell everybody to meet me at Mount Carmel. Gather up all the prophets of Baal, all of y'all. Meet me on there. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to both have an offering. We're going to set it on the altar. And we're going to call on our God and ask him to let fire come down from heaven. And whatever God does that, that is the true God. Now, I need to be clear and make sure you all understand that there's only one of Elijah. And there's 450 prophets of Baal. But Elijah is not scared and is not backing down from this challenge. So Elijah says, okay, y'all can go ahead and go first. Let me see what you got. The other prophets start at morning. They're praying to their God. They're calling on him. By afternoon, Elijah's looking at his um, wood watch. And he's like, <laughs> you know, just some twigs on his arm. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, he's like, um, is your God asleep? Is he, is he in the restroom right now? Is he taking a wee bit potty break? Like, what is he doing? And then they're getting like frustrated, like, man, and they're calling on him even louder and more, and nothing happens. And Elijah's like, pity you fools. I don't know why I'm speaking with an accent today, but here we are. And then Elijah prays. And what struck me so much about his prayer is that he doesn't want God to just rain down fire just for himself, just to say how awesome Elijah is. He says, God, I want you to do this so people will know that you are the true God. And as soon as he is done praising and praying, fire strikes that altar. And remember, all the people of Israel are there to witness this. And they declare that the Lord is the true God, not Baal. And then Elijah just had to finish with a bang, literally seized all 450 prophets and then executed him, executed them. I don't know another nicer way to say that. But do I have any Marvel fans in the room? Oh, y'all, mm, do I have any Marvel fans in the room? Yeah, okay, okay, not too sure. But if you've watched Avengers Endgame, the final battle, this is this right here. They definitely got the inspiration from this scene. But, however, it's not the Avengers versus all these people. It's only one Avenger. It's just Elijah. So now that y'all know all of that, this is what the king has told the queen. And she is pissed. She is furious. She is ready to take revenge. And if I could put this in the Aisha translation and tap a little bit into the actor from Taken, this is how I would say it. 
Don't laugh, y'all, because I got to stay in character. See? See? Can't tell y'all nothing. <clears throat> Best believe I'm coming for you. This is not a threat. This is a promise. Y'all see my, my eye contact, my fierceness? That's what she was saying. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. It says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. God had performed miracle after miracle after miracle in Elijah's life. You guys have to check it out. Kings 17 and 18. His legacy of faith was so significant that in the New Testament, when Jesus is asking his disciples, who do they say I am? Who are people saying I am? Some of the disciples' response was some say that you are Elijah. And y'all, how amazing was Elijah's ministry that when Jesus stepped on the earth, that when Jesus stepped on the scene, people thought he was Elijah. So this is the Elijah that I am talking about. And for a messenger to come so quickly after Elijah has executed all these men, that meant that he, he stayed in his, in his home, his, his area that he was. He didn't move. He wasn't scared. He wasn't worried. He wasn't worried about being a most wanted person on the king and queen's list. After a victory like that on Mark Calmo, he probably thought it was over for them. He probably thought that Jezebel is going to get kicked out, that the king is going to have a change of heart and start to worship the true God. But oh, how he was wrong. And I think it's at this moment we see that the catalyst of us being lost is when things don't go how we expect they would. When things don't go how we planned or how we think God's plan was supposed to happen. Some of our lowest moments come when we least expect it. Although he was literally and figuratively on a mountaintop, now Elijah is entering into that valley place that valley of the shadow of death that is talked about in Psalm 23. And isn't it ironic, a God-fearing man being terrified of a godless queen after a great victory. Verse 3 says, he was afraid and fled. And if you're taking notes, write this down. When we are lost, we tend to make decisions that are rooted in our emotions and not our faith. Family, if I can ask you a few questions, these are things that came to mind that maybe will help you decipher, where am I right now? Are you walking by faith? Or are you running by fear? Are you intentionally moving one step at a time? Are you reacting to everything that's happening around you? Are you reacting to your circumstances? Are you taking refuge in God? Or are you running from God?
because I see a little bit of my own tendency in this text, I had to highlight it. It says that he dropped off his servant. And you know, Elijah at this time did not have a car, but I just imagine him letting his servant out the car and then just driving off, slamming on the gas, not saying anything, not disclosing any information, not telling him, I'll be back in two days, I'll be back in a week. There was no communication. And what I see in Elijah, something I see in myself, is that when we tend to feel lost internally, we often isolate from those around us. Some of us, we know how to gradually fade away and detach. And some of us, it's just a quick thing. We don't disclose what's really going on. We don't talk about the pain or the heaviness or the frustration or the sense of loss that we feel. We just intentionally remove ourselves and detach. Although the thing that we deeply desire and need at that time is community, is presence. Now, verse 4, I wrestle with that a whole lot because of the specific words that Elijah uses. And I don't want to be insensitive, and I know that the mental health struggle and the challenges are real and are increasing more and more. But as I started to study, I realized there were other people in Scripture who literally said almost the same thing. I think of Job, that's probably one of the most famous ones. Job, who shared the sentiment. Jonah, who shared the sentiment. Moses, who shared the sentiment. It felt like too much. They just could not do it. They wanted to be done. I have reached my rope's end. Now, it says that Elijah was all alone again. He dropped off his servant. He had traveled an entire day to the wilderness. He was physically exhausted. He was discouraged, again, because he thought God was going to show up in a very particular way. And God did not show up like that. So now there's a massive target and threat on his head. He ran to the wilderness because he didn't know where to go. He didn't know where to turn to. He didn't pause and pray. He just went somewhere where he thought no one would find him. He didn't have any sense of direction. And this is a moment we don't often see from someone who is talked about so highly in Scripture. We see the strong prophet, the strong leader, the strong friend saying it's too much. I don't want to do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I don't know how to do it. God, where are you? Let's keep reading at verse 5. It says, Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, 
get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. Now, this is a not a typical encounter with an angel that we see in scriptures. A lot of times when angels are on the scene, it's fear not. It's don't be afraid. I come with good tidings. It's a very formal interaction. But here, it's very casual. The first words that the angel says to Elijah is get up and eat. And because I like to eat, the slogan of Snickers came to mind. I feel like this is what the angel was thinking, because, you know, the angels, they know all the things. You're not yourself when you're hungry. (laughs) Grab a Snickers. But he made him a cake, a little easy-bake oven quick situation. Had that going on in the wilderness. The angel could see what he really needed. The angel could see what was going on beneath the surface. And he spoke from that place. So something else that we learn from this text is that God addressed his physical, relational, and spiritual needs. The angel's actions communicated great intentionality and great hospitality. The first thing he did was he touched them. And remember, Elijah is all alone. Elijah is like, God, where are you? Me and you are tight. I've seen you do miraculous things. I ain't feeling that right now. I'm feeling like you abandoned me. I'm feeling like you left me hanging. I'm ready to go. But the angel decides to touch him. And that speaks to his relational need for him to know that he is not alone. And if you read a little bit further in this chapter, He even says that, man, I'm the only prophet left. And we learn that that's not even true. So the angel touching him is significant. It communicates, I see you. And y'all, do you remember in the beginning of the pandemic when we weren't hugging people, when we were giving hugs to our family and friends? And then we went that season without it. And then we went a season where we're giving back hugs. Like, are you doing this? Now we've got to ask people, like, are you good? Are you good? Yes, I'm going in. And what that felt like, that's the place Elijah was in. So he has a relational need met. Secondly, the angel had a warm meal and something to drink. That was his physical and immediate need, his Snickers moment. And the angel knew before he could say anything else, I need to take care of you physically. You are sleep deprived. You are malnourished. You are lacking in self-care. And I'm talking about Elijah, but I know I'm probably speaking to somebody in this room. God wants us to take care of our temple. And sometimes we could be so spiritual and think that, God is only concerned with the spiritual parts of us. But the angel catered to 
those physical needs that he had. And the last need was that spiritual need. He needed guidance. He needed clarity. He needed someone to speak life over him and say, you're not done. God has more for you. You just need to rest. You just need to take care of yourself in this moment. You just need to pause. And a lot of times we think being lost is our final destination when it's only a pit stop. It's not our final destination. It's only a pit stop. Now, y'all, I had to Google because, again, um, all I've seen is Talladega Nights, so that gives me a little bit of perspective. But what happens during a pit stop? You get refueled. That's what happened to Elijah. He got some food. He got something to drink. He got to take two power naps, not one. Major win. So you get refueled. You receive alignment if you are off. And Elijah was off. And I have to highlight this because sometimes we think that we are in a place where we've been walking with Jesus for so long. Or we have just been on this fast track in our relationship that we think we can't be in this place where we're lost. That we can't be in this place where we're saying some pretty wild things to God. And Elijah is one of the goats in scripture. That's how he's referred to. The, the power that he walked in. The prayers that he prayed. But he needed an alignment. He needed a voice of truth speaking into him. Hmm. I would also say, depending on what motorsport that you are getting, a pit stop you may also get a new driver. And I would say this happened for Elijah. Because previously, God was doing the driving. He was following God's voice. He was following what God said to do. But in this moment, in 1 Kings 19, he's being led by his fear. He's being led by his circumstances. instead of the voice of God. My favorite part is that the angel is so tender with him that the angel doesn't say, Elijah, you're being dumb right now. Come on, let's go. The angel was tender. The angel was so caring, so sensitive, so loving. And I love that because at this moment shows me what I see happen a lot of time in Psalms. That God holds space for us to ask questions, to even complain, to lament, to pour out our heart to him. He holds space for us. I don't know if y'all caught it in the last part of the verse before he says he goes on his 40-day journey. But it says that the food that the angel gave him, the supernatural provision that it gave him enough strength. And if I could just pause and speak to all of you in the very many different places that you are, God will give you enough strength. God will give you enough strength for whatever the next step is, 
for whatever the thing that he's calling you into. God will give you enough strength to get up again, to keep moving forward on your journey. And maybe for some of you, that next step, you're, you're living out that next step because you're here. You're trying out church again. You're trying out God again. For some of you, that next step may be therapy. For some of you, that next step may be modeling after Elijah and just saying, I'm hurting, I'm lost, I don't know what to do, and confiding in your community, confiding in your parents, confiding in someone at the end of the stage after service that's on the prayer team. That may be your moment, and God will give you enough strength. Now, I thought I was going to be able to go through 9 through 16, but that's a whole part two sermon. So I'm going to just give you um, one more thing. Elijah's going to the same place that Moses had these powerful encounters with God. It was on this mountain where Moses told God, I want to see your glory. I want to see your face. I want to encounter you in a real way. And in verse 13, it continues. Now, Elijah, who's Elijah, y'all? I don't know. (laughs) Elijah just had this conversation with the angels, really a monologue. Now he's having this conversation with God, and God asks him, Elijah, what are you doing? I say it with a little sass, but I don't envision God doing that. That's just my Aishaness coming out. And Elijah tells him, like, man, I've been so on fire for you and doing all the things that you tell me to do. And look at me. Look where I am. This doesn't make sense. God questions him again. Elijah, what are you doing? Elijah says the exact same thing. And then what happens is God manifests himself in wind, in fire, and in the earth. I did not say that how I wanted to. Earth, wind, and fire. That's what he did. But the text tells us that God was in neither of those things. But you know, Elijah was used to the miraculous. He was used to the big things. But what it says next after that is that, but God was in a whisper. God was in a still, small voice. What if you turn this moment or season of feeling lost into an invitation to tune into that still, small voice? Because if you're lost, maybe a lot of the normal noise and other voices and other distractions are not as dominant right now, where you can tune in. And when it says in verse 3 that Elijah ran out of fear, even though he ran and was led by his emotions and his fear, what did he do when he sat down? He prayed. And as I play back Elijah's experience in my mind, I see that God sees, God hears, God responds. And God finds us in the places. 
that we don't see it possible for us to be found. Now, I was having a conversation with um, Grace, who is one of the high school girls that I mentor, and I was telling her about, you know, what I'm going to be talking about today, and I just asked her to, you know, share with me your perspective on this. What does this mean for you? And then she started telling me all these things, and I'm writing it down, trying to keep up, and I'm like, this is a lot. And I'm like, instead of trying to paraphrase what do you think about coming up and sharing with everyone what you shared with me? Now, if you don't know how I get down as a leader and a mentor, I really lovingly push and challenge my girls to get comfortable being uncomfortable and to not discount the power of their voice. So with that being said, Grace, go ahead and share with the people. Hello. Yes, oh. give us some love. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, Aisha's really pushing me out of my comfort zone with this one. Um, so, yeah, when Aisha was talking to me a couple weeks ago at lunch about this sermon, she was just telling me her thoughts, telling me what she was wanting to convey in her message, and I just kept going back to the parable of the lost sheep. And so to really briefly paraphrase it, um, it's a, story, a parable that Jesus told to his disciples. Um, there's a shepherd who has 100 sheep, and when one of the sheep goes astray, um, the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one sheep. And when he, the shepherd finds the sheep, he celebrates the sheep being found, and it brings the lost sheep home to his friends and his neighbors to celebrate um, the lost sheep being found. And so it may seem obvious, but um, in this parable, we the sheep are resemblant of us, and the shepherd is God. And so one experience that happened to me pretty recently that really resonates with this story is um, just a couple months ago, um, is a really interesting time for me and for my faith life. I had a really, really awesome, tight-knit community of friends that was built through Ascent um, that I could go to whenever I was experiencing doubt in my faith or, had faith or had questions about my faith. And this summer, they all graduated <laughs> and went to college far away. <laughs> so I no longer had that really easily accessible community where I was able to just ask those questions or just talk about my faith really vulnerably. And so I, in that moment, I was definitely feeling lost and I was feeling a lot of doubt and uncertainty about where my faith was headed for this next year without that community around me. And I feel like in that moment where I was just feeling lost is where the Lord just met me where I was at, and the Holy Spirit just transformed my faith into what it is today, which is just something that I've never experienced before, where I feel just so much more trusting and reliant on the Lord, and that just wouldn't have happened if I wasn't in that valley, in that spiritual low that I was at before, and I'm doing things now today that I've never have done before, never thought I'd be doing, just 
I'm like, I don't like to read, but like I'm reading these books right now about discerning the voice of God and like basing relationships around the Lord. I am waking up and um, on my way to school listening to worship music. I am actively taking time out of my day to just sit with the Lord and try to just discern what he's saying to me. And again, yeah, this just wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't have gotten to this point if I was um, didn't have that spiritual valley and that feeling of being lost. And so I think the biggest takeaway from my experience is just that it doesn't matter how whatever you're going through in your faith, whether you're experiencing doubt or insecurity or you're feeling lost, the Lord, that's not going to make you any less worthy of God's unconditional love or of his pursuit of you. He's, the Lord is still going to chase after you and is going to meet you where you're at and expand your faith from there. And those points where you are feeling spiritually low or unstable are moments where um, there are invitations and opportunities where the Lord can just meet you and um, transform you into just a whole new person. And reveal himself to you in ways that you've never experienced before. So I'm just going to pray, and then we'll worship, and that'll be service. Um, but God, we just thank you so much for this time, for this morning, for this space where we're able to gather together, and where we're able to just celebrate you, God. We pray in thanks that you are a God that will love us unconditionally, no matter where we're at in our faiths, whether we're experiencing loss or feeling lost or feeling doubtful about who you are, God. We're so grateful that your love is not conditional, but that your love is reckless and that you will be there and be constant for us throughout our faith journey. So Lord, we love you. We give this day to you and it's in your name we pray. Amen.